The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the Star Trek movie, Star Trek Insurrection. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hey, Father Corey. How's it going? Uh, Folks, be sure to stick around. We have more of your great listener feedback to share at the end of the show. Uh, But first, I want to tell you uh, how you can get your very own Secrets of Star Trek t-shirt. For those of you watching the video, you can sort of see mine there. You're I'm hiding the, behind the the microphone as it should yeah. be, Dom. Oh. I'm hanging off the back of the Enterprise on that one. Uh, but you can get your very own Secrets of Star Trek t-shirt and other merchandise with the wonderful original art on it by visiting sqpn.com slash merch. And I want to tell you about another show on the StarQuest Network you are certain to enjoy called The Secrets of Doctor Who, which you can find wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash Doctor Who. Uh, But today we're talking about Star Trek Insurrection. And Jimmy, can you give us a recap of this movie? This time, Picard and the gang are drawn into a tense situation when when Mr. Data goes berserk on a planet of space hippies that the Federation and a creepy race known as the Sona have been studying. They eventually capture Data and learn that he went berserk because he was injured by a Sona weapon and his survival and ethical routines took control and gave him safe mode multiple personality disorder. While in safe mode, Data and the Federation and Sona Data held the Federation and Sona crew members hostage and told the space hippies that they were their enemies. It turns out Data was right. The Federation Council has authorized Admiral Dougherty and the Sona to remove the 600 space hippies from their planet using a holodeck ship so that they won't realize they've been relocated. The reason is that the rings of their planet have a miraculous property that will stop and reverse aging, and the Federation Council wants to use it to help billions of people. However, harvesting the miraculous property will kill everyone on the planet, hence the relocation. Picard bizarrely decides that the Prime Directive applies in this situation, and he decides to to commit an act of, here comes the title, Insurrection. He sends Riker, Geordi, and the Enterprise to make contact with the Federation to alert them to what's going on here, even though they already know. And while that's going on, he and the rest of the bridge crew stay on the planet to insurrect and help the space hippies. We thus get long, long scenes of the crew and the space hippies trudging through the California mountains seeking shelter. However, the Sona eventually are able to beam up most of them, including Picard and the woman Picard has conveniently fallen in love with. Picard then reveals that he learned from a DNA scan that the Sona are really the same race as the space hippies. The Sona had tried to take over the space commune a century ago and got kicked out, and they now need the miraculous healing property to heal themselves for some reason. And they're looking for revenge. The Sona leader uh, sends ships to intercept the Enterprise, which is forced to eject and detonate its warp core, so it comes back to the planet. The Sona leader also orders the Collector for the miraculous space healing property to be activated, but Picard tricks him and his bridge officers by beaming them onto the holodeck ship, 
where he has somehow miraculously created a hologram of the Sonah Bridge. However, the Sonah leader beams over to the Collector to activate it manually, and Picard also beams over to destroy it before it can destroy the planet. Picard succeeds in destroying the Collector, and the Sonah leader dies screaming. Afterwards, Riker informs Picard that the Federation has ordered an indefinite halt to the Space Hippie Relocation Project while they review the situation, and Picard and the gang say goodbye to the woman Picard fell in love with and all the other space hippies. The end. So, uh, before I get your overall impressions, I just a few f- interesting facts I just want to throw out there. Uh, today, as this episode of Secrets of Star Trek releases, is the 25th anniversary of the release of this movie, which was... Oh, that's funny. Com- completely unintentional. It's just a coincidence, which is really fun. Um, wow. I remember and, seeing it in the theaters with my dad. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, I remember yeah, going to the early matinee. I would go see Star Trek movies mm-hmm. as soon as they were out. Uh it's directed by Jonathan Frakes, uh who plays Will Riker, of course. And written by Michael Pillar, who was famous for being a writer on I think I think he was like a Next early Gen. writer on Next Gen, but then went to DS nine. Yeah. Uh when Next Gen died uh, died and it <laughs> He quickly and, moved off of DS9, though. He was only there in the beginning. He handed the show over to Ira Bear. Mm-hmm. Right. And then ended up... Which is when it got good. Yeah. Yep. Um, and uh, so that's it, uh, Father Corey. What are your overall impression of this movie? It was, you know, if it if it had been a TNG, like, two-parter, it would have been okay. Um, of course, because it's a movie, they had to amp up the uh, humor, and some of it in my opinion, fell really flat. It was just kind of ridiculous. Cringy. It didn't really fit. Yeah, it was cringy. <laughs> you know, some of the, the the scene of Worf basically going back through puberty was kind of like, uh, we don't need that, you know. Data, of course, trying to play the humor up with Data's character. Just mm-hmm. that that's I didn't like a lot of that, of course, you know, and then there was this, the space hippie aspect of it. And but it wasn't bad. It just wasn't great either. It's just kind of yeah, kind of there. Yeah. Uh, how about you, Jimmy? Well, they dropped the numbers after Star Trek six, but the rule holds true. This this movie has two serious strikes against it. The first one is this is the ninth Star Trek mm-hmm. film. And as everybody knows, the odd numbered Star Trek films are inferior to the even numbered Star Trek films. So it's going to be inferior for that reason alone. It's also going to be inferior because Riker shaves his beard in this movie. And as everybody knows, Next Gen is only good when Riker has the beard. Mm -hmm. In fact, it's led to a a TV trope being named after it, whereas Jumping the Shark is when a TV series starts to get bad compared to what it used to be. Growing the beard is when it starts to get good compared to what it used to be. Mm. Is beard good? (laughs) <laughs> the three bearded guys. At, 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 at least in the case of Jonathan Frakes for next generation purposes, yes. So uh, it's, in my view, this is a really mediocre film. Yeah. It has a serious, I mean, it, not only does it have cringe moments, some of which will, are meant, meant to be humorous, but they're still cringe, mm-hmm. um, which we'll talk about. But it also has a ridiculous core element, the ridiculous a series of ridiculous core <laughs> elements. Um, but the big one is Picard leading an insurrection over 
thinking the prime directive applies here when it clearly does not. Yeah. Right. And applying it over a one commune of 600 people who aren't even the totality of their race as he learns. Right. So it's just a ridiculous, it's just a ridiculous setup, which became clear to Michael Piller when he showed a draft of the script to Ira Bear. Ira Bear is a really good writer. Mm-hmm. And Piller recall, recalls how Ira came into his office and Ira was known for always wearing sunglasses. And and he comes into his office and takes off the sunglasses for like the first time ever and says, Mikey, you know, it, it, <laughs> it, it, it's just a ridiculous premise. Also, right. it, 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 it we'll get into why it's ridiculous, but it's a ridiculous premise. Pillars famously said that he came up with the idea for the planet where people get younger one morning while he was applying his Rogaine, which is yeah. a, used to be a hair growth thing. It still is, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you never hear about it. There, these there's, days. Well, there's, there's new, of course, there's, it's a generic brand now. Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, as far as my like overall impression, I'm in, in broad agreement with you. Uh, there are elements I like. I kind of like some of the dumb humor, uh, the cringy stuff. I, I laugh. Um, there's, there's one in particular that I laughed out loud at, uh, which I'll, I'll, I'll get to, but, um, the, the, the settings, the locations, awesome. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Is that the Sierras, Jimmy? Do you know if that was the Sierra mountains in California? Some of it looks like it, mm-hmm. like the, it, where it, they show the, the mountain, um, yeah. lake sure looks like it could be. I think that but, may yeah. have been mammoth lake, but I may be mistaken on that. Okay. Cause gorgeous. I know that setting mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, it makes the, it makes up for a lot. Uh, it's definitely not Vasquez rocks. Let's put it that way. Yeah. No, no it's not. <laughs> and, uh, so that, um, but there were a lot of like, there were even more, you, you were generous to Jimmy. There were more logical errors in, oh, yeah. in this, uh, that we could get to. Um, uh, I, I think F Murray Abraham was as a scene chewing villain is great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that was uh, kind of uh, I, I liked him in that, and you know the, he gets to be the villain screaming at the end as he as he dies. Uh, so that you know he was pretty good in that. Um, but in general, it, he screams it, I, okay. Yeah, yeah. But Father Corey, I think you hit it. I think I agree. This would have been a pretty good, decent two parter in the in the in the series. Decent. Uh, I, I won't give it pretty good. I'll give it decent. Decent. It would have been yeah an okay two parter. Which they kind of did a little bit well. Uh, we could talk about who watches the watchers had a similar yes. beginning premise, which they've re- essentially recycled. Oh yeah, there are several episodes that have uh, premises. I even made a list of them. I'm not sure if I can how quick I can find it, but I made a list of the previous episodes that this recycled elements of. Yeah, um, it who had, watches the watchers though was the clearest one, just yeah. because it was you yeah. know okay they didn't learn off that problem, so let's do it again. <laughs> the duck blind. Yeah, also the Iceman episode where Data goes, you know, has a memory problem and in in another primitive culture, um that's called thine own self. And also the let's transport people using a holodeck without them from a primitive culture without them realizing it episode with Warp's Warp's brother which was called Homeward. Yep. Right. Right. Yes, all recycled elements. <laughs> Uh, one other thing I should mention that I uh, I think is just an interesting note is this is the first feature film to have all the visual effects be CGI, which 
you could kind of see there was some primitive you know it oh. looked a little you know some of the the space cgi was a little primitive but it, it wasn't the space cgi that i noticed it was the it was the space hippie child's pocket puppy yeah 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 that yeah there was clearly that there, uh, there, there were some there elements were, there were a few places where like a modern ps5 or xbox one game would have better graphics <laughs> yes yeah. yes i mean it just shows its age this is a you know a 25 year old yeah. movie but I, I don't I hold that. I don't yeah. hold that against it, though, um, yeah. because they just were working with what they had at the time. Just like you watched the nineteen mm-hmm. sixties Star Trek, uh, special effects aren't great, and neither <laughs> are the sets. Yep. Right. Right. I just. I just. Yeah. I think it's an interesting historical note of the of the movie. The setting in so in the setting within the Star Trek timeline. This was in the midst of the Dominion War. DS Nine mm-hmm. was still running. Voyager was running uh, at mm-hmm. that time. Um, and, and so then they had to get Worf off of DS9 again and back into the movie, uh, like they did in the last one in first contact. Uh, but this is in the midst of the Dominion war and that kind of plays a very small part mm-hmm. of the, the motivation f- right. for why their Federation council approved this is because they're desperate about, about, uh, they want, the war. they want more, more people to help them fight the war. Right. Yeah. This is the th- this is in the final season of DS Nine, so it's the um, end of the Dominion War when things are really bad. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Uh, so the 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 themes, if you want to talk about it, like there's a whole theme of the two sides of humanity. I mean, this is kind of the, you talk about space hippies. You know, we have the idyllic and innocent, beautiful people living simply in t- in tune with nature. And then the ugly, diseased, high-tech, evil, jealous of their, alter, you know, it's a Jekyll and Hyde sort of thing mm-hmm. going on. Heavy-handed. Yep. <laughs> Very heavy-handed. Um, I, I'm not sure it would be done any better today if they wanted to do something like that. But Well, and, uh, and then they don't have the quite the idyllic because it turns out that they actually do have advanced, like, warp technology and things like that. And they just keep it under wraps. They have it and they use it. They just keep it under wraps. Yeah, the yeah. space the space hippies clearly have to. I mean, they don't say it, but they have to have high tech because there's no way a hundred years ago that the that the rebels could have been kicked off planet if they didn't have it. Right, and they had to, and then they used their tech to conquer two other races, which are their slave class, the mm-hmm. Tarlac and the Alora, who we see in the backgrounds. Um. But you, if it's not like they just had knowledge of tech, they had to have the actual technology because right. you can't build starships without indust- high-tech industrial plants, and you can't build high-tech industrial plants without low-tech tools, mm-hmm. and you can't have low-tech. You can't you can't ramp up in just a few years from no tech to functional starships. Yeah, just yeah. It, it, so well, you have they've got to have them. They just got them in caves or something. Well, and then they they mentioned too where they know all these high tech principles and you know all these particles and all this kind of stuff. So it's like, okay, you don't just know that you had technology way back when, but you have the knowledge now of that technology. It kind of reminds me of the, and it's even it's not just the knowledge though. They have to have tech in order to make tech, right? Right. Uh, Because you could you could have if you dropped an Apple engineer in the middle of a desert with nothing but sticks and stones he couldn't make you an iphone in a year well it could be that they just had their old ships that they used to get there hidden in a cave somewhere that they 
yeah the the rebels took off well they don't even really say i mean no they don't even say um but the the, the idea that we don't have machines i was just watching you operate a a a dam and an irrigation system and all these machines they're just lower tech i mean come on they're just not electronic yeah, you've you've set like this bar like this is this and no further for technology. Mm-hmm. And that's always how it, how it well, is. Well, that's kind of what Amish do. I mean, Amish I have machines. They just don't use certain high tech, what higher tech. Ones. Right. And, that's and true. That's true. Even that is kind of limited what they do. They they, they do have some modern vehicles yeah. and things like that. So, now another uh, theme we have is the temptation of the fountain of youth, the or put it another way, sort of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to use a, uh, a Christian metaphor, whereas, you know, we have this temptation, these people have this, whatever that is that keeps them young, healthy and lives, they can live for hundreds of years. They're sort of like the elves of Rivendell. They, can, they even mm-hmm. come across that way a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and this temptation for, of others to take it from them. We want to take it. And, uh, so this, there's an interesting theme within the movie around this idea, like the, the higher tech people come in and they want to take the specialness of the people that, who are less powerful than them. Um, you know, the, so the little truth to power thing going on there. Um, and that kind of culminates in what is essentially a metaphor of native American forced relocation mm-hmm. to me. That's what it, it comes across as to me. Well, and, and many other, many other cultures that have faced that, not just native Americans, but yeah, it, yeah. It, it's, that is, Something that has happened many times in human history, and they yep. even they even kind of you know poke at it in the story where we've not learned from this in the past, you know. Right. This also leads to one of the key problems with this. So, the according to the Federation Council, um, the Prime Directive does not apply here, and the Federation Council is absolutely right mm-hmm. because number one, the space hippies have know about and clearly have warp technology mm-hmm. so it doesn't apply for that reason also they're not native to this planet mm-hmm. they are not naturally immortal it's not like the universe determined that you were going to grow up on a planet that's going to make you immortal um they moved here and mm-hmm. that means this planet is a resource and the the law has a concept that no one ever mentions in this that in real life would be used to handle this issue. The concept is eminent domain. Eminent domain occurs when someone has a piece of property and there is a compelling reason that that property needs to be used for another purpose than what the person wants to use it for. And you can compensate the person and take the property. And this is used all the time in you know like when a district let's say needs to build a freeway or some other you know a, a some other thing and it's going to have to go through somebody's property well you pay them for their property and then you claim their property under eminent domain so you can build the freeway that will benefit the entire community well that's essentially what we have going on here they they have they're living on this planet that has rings that could benefit billions of people so you would not sneakily move the people off their property in the middle of the night without them realizing it, which is stupid. You mm-hmm. just go to them and say, I'm sorry, but um, you have a valuable resource here that can help billions of people. Can we work out a deal? 
And if they say no, then you say, okay, I'm afraid we're going to have to relocate you, but we will offer you compensation. And if they had been handling this the way we would in real life, we wouldn't have a movie. (laughs) Right. And so they have to handle it stupid. (laughs) And, And Picard then suddenly decides the prime directive seems to apply here when it clearly doesn't. Right. And... Uh, his best analogy is the forced relocation thing. And, and okay, yeah, forced relocation's bad, but eminent domain is essentially a small-scale forced relocation, and that's mm-hmm. what they're talking about here. We're talking about closing one commune and moving it to another planet that'll be just as good, and we can compensate them for this planet. Well, but if they've got this miraculous... M- radiation that keeps them young perpetually they've got the fountain of youth exactly how much money would it take to get convince someone to give that up well mm. you don't have that's the thing about eminent domain <laughs> it you don't have to get the, yeah. the person's can they don't have to agree to the compensation you offer it just has to be it's supposed to be reasonable and they can continue to benefit because if we're going to use this to benefit billions of people we can use it to continue to benefit the space hippies in their new commune and there's also the just as good, which you won't have because you'll have to use these artificial injections or whatever. However, you get mm. this radiation into people, then. But but no, it's it, I agree with your point. But it does end up still being the the forced relocation, mm-hmm. right? Unjust forced relocation. You know, I feel like Pillar unintentionally or intentionally puts a line in the script that really outlines the problem with. The, mm-hmm. Some of these TNG movies, which is he has Picard say, remember when we were explorers in exasperation? I were, I'm like, I, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 note, I wrote that line down, too. Precisely. Yeah. Picard gets in the elevator with the next gen crew on their way to this diplomatic reception. And he says, can anyone remember when we used to be explorers? And it's like, yeah. yes, I can. And that's <laughs> part of the problem. Yep. Right. There's also another line where where I think the problem with this story really shows through, which is where he's talking to Admiral Dougherty, and Picard needs to come across as Mr. Righteous, you know? Mm. So he's he's talking to, he's chewing out Admiral Dougherty, he's being insubordinate, but he's saying things like, you know, tell me, when, when... When does uh, when does it become wrong? If you're saying it's okay to relocate 600 people, what does it take for it to become wrong? Is it a thousand? Is it is it ten thousand? Is it a million? When does it become wrong? And if I'm Admiral Dougherty, I would have turned that around and shoved it down his throat. When does it become okay, Captain Picard? When it's 500 people? When it's 100 people? When it's one person? When can you relocate somebody? And it's just we're arguing over over numbers it, and as if that was a determining factor. And it's just not. At some level, it's OK to relocate people. It's not a huge humanitarian tragedy if you invoke eminent domain. You shouldn't do it badly, which our government often does, but you but it can be done in a reasonable way. Mm. I mean, yeah, Picard's got a complaint. It's the way that they're doing it. It's not the fact that they're doing it. but. He's got a valid complaint. It's the secret in the in the yeah. in the middle of literally mm-hmm. in the middle of the night way that they plan on doing it, which is also stupid because even if you relocate people, oh by the way, they never explain why they have a cloak on a hollow ship. 
Yeah. This is for this is technologies violates the Treaty of Algeron. Mm-hmm. Should have that note should not <laughs> yep. be a Federation cloaked ship in these circumstances. But well, if you do have a cloaking ship and you with a holodeck in it and you take them to a new planet and you plant them on the new planet, you know when they're going to realize they're on a new planet the next night. <laughs> because they're going to see the stars and notice the constellations are all wrong. And wow. so, um, you know, because people who live in low tech societies watch the skies and they don't have television, they're going to look at the skies and notice what the stars are doing and use it for planting their crops and stuff like that. And you well, just screwed up their whole system. Well, it's going to be actually the next morning when they wake up and notice the geology has changed. And of course, by that time, too late. See ya. <laughs> yeah. They're warp nine out of there. So, yeah, I didn't get why the, the ship had to be cloaked anyway, except to make a, a funny you know thing, yeah. because they've hid it under a lake anyway. So right. it's not like it's where anybody's going to stumble on it. Except Dana. Well, apparently did. Someone did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, then you have the um, the creepy Federation spying on people from duck blind things, which is just kind of like this has always been creepy. Even when TNG did it. In Who watches the watchers like this? How could they, how would they build this hidden outpost without anyone noticing? It's literally like, it's like an observation deck in a zoo, you know, looking at the creatures. It's right there. I know how I do it, but I don't know how they did it. Knock everybody out and then build it? Well, that's one way, but you could also use transporters to Mm -hmm. transport out lots of dirt. Uh, from inside that mountain, and then you just need to slap on the holographic interface at night while nobody's watching. Yep. Right. I guess that would be it. But you'd have to do it pretty darn quiet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, Not to weak anybody. That's um, why I'd use the transporter. And mm-hmm. then the whole idea that uh, you have individual cloaks, which is new, of uh, people walking around cloaked in the village. Like, oh. and no one ever bumps into anyone or I, I have in my notes, how are those invisi suits not leaving footprints? <laughs> right. Yeah. And then of course, eventually they start, you know, when they're chasing data, they you know, throw everything up out of whack and they start running into stuff. And like, I guess it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. Like yeah. you're still trying to stop him. Like you're, you're running into people at this point, you might as well take it off and just, you know, you've, you've revealed the game here. You mean you uh, never just tripped over your own two feet and got thrown back five feet in the process. <laughs> no, yeah. Had my, my uh, market stand blown up. Yeah. Um, Data's safe mode, multiple personality disorder also seems stupid. Yeah. Why would you, why would that be the sort of the default? Like I get default, like at his fundamental level, ethics routines are there to prevent him from being used to do bad things. I get that. But this is like, it it is a complex idea to do, decide that it needs to be, um, that he needs to take these actions as the default safety mode of some sort. Yeah, it's it, it's like why is his conscious mind, regular conscious mind not able to do this for itself? Yeah. <clears throat> well, and and you you would think that if he has a safe mode like that, I mean, yes, ethical subroutines would ki- would should kick in, but you would think it would be flight mode. It'd be mm-hmm. get to safety, figure out what's going on, get yourself fixed. Don't hurt anyone along the way. Which is right. actually what we saw in that Brothers episode of Next Gen, where he, where at a distance, Noonien Sung activated Data's safe mode in order to bring him to him. Right. And he was just very focused on this one purpose. He's not trying to hurt anybody, but he is trying to get to Dr. Sung. Right. 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 
Um, it was interesting characterization of Picard early on um, before they get to the briar patch, the, the area. You mean um, when they put the little girl beaded pigtail headdress on him? Yeah. <laughs> well, among other things, but this, mm-hmm. they have this super competent Picard thing going on where he's the exacting captain with every detail at his fingertips, right down to a 0.03 variance in some f- sensor field, whatever, uh, on the bridge, which nobody can believe that he could actually sense it. Um, well, what's the purpose of that um, except to buff up Picard? I thought, and the, this could be a script artifact, because it occurs in the middle of a sequence of things where we don't know the reason yet, but the crew is starting to act strange. So, mm. And they're becoming younger. And so Troy starts flirting with Riker, and Worf oversleeps like teenagers do, and then he's got a pimple. And then Picard hears this tiny misalignment. Well, young people have better ears than older people. They can hear higher frequencies, which in Mm -hmm. fact is used against them uh, because there is a device known as the mosquito that is used to discourage young people from loitering in places. So if you've got young people loitering in front of your shop, you can put in a mosquito. It will create a high-pitched screeching noise that they can hear, but that your adult customers can't. And get rid of the loitering teenagers for you. Yeah. <laughs> but were they even in the Briar Patch when all that started? Yeah, That's, yeah, yeah. It was just oh. when they first got there. Okay, okay. I didn't. I, I forgot the sequence of events. I guess. Uh, and Majority is also starting to get his eyes back, so his ocular implants are bugging him at the moment. Right. Um, Jimmy, I know what your favorite part of the movie was, though. You may think you do. <laughs> Let's see if you're right. Is is it the Gilbert and Sullivan uh, singing? No, uh, <laughs> that's, that's that's one of the cringe moments. Yeah. I, okay. I, I so at one point they're they're Picard, Worf, and Data are flying, and Data's in safe mode, and they're both flying on essentially shuttles, and they're trying to talk to Data, but he's not talking back to them, and Picard deduces that his rational mind is disengaged so even though he's not wearing his emotion chip let's try singing gilbert and sullivan to him and so he gets a karaoke version of a british tar so that Worf can follow along a tar is a sailor so the song is about a british sailor and it describes you know what he what he should be like you know his 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 brow should furl and his lips should curl and so on and so on and his fist should fist should be ready for a knockdown blow and so i what i like about that is how it gets set up because picard turns after he's made this decision to try to reach data's consciousness through an alternate route um picard turns to Worf and says mr Worf, do you know gilbert and sullivan and and Worf says, no, I have not had a chance to meet all the new crew members since I returned. That <laughs> is a great line. That is. It was that good. is a great line. Um, and then he puts on this karaoke version of a British tar from HMS Pinafore. And he, he turns to Worf and he's like, sing. And Worf is shaking his head no. And which is what one would do if one is not either a singer or familiar with this song or things like that. And so that's okay, but then the the actual performance of a British tar with Worf and Picard and Data singing it is is kind of cringy. <laughs> My favorite film version of a British tar is in Rage of the Lost Ark when Sala sings oh. it after being kissed 
by uh, Kate Allen's character, um, Marion uh-huh. Ravenwood. Yes, because mm. because he, he's all, all excited by that. Uh, it's it's where I recognized it from. Uh-huh. Uh So um, from there, I guess we could talk about. I mean, this you know the rest of the film, but um, Starfleet seems to have a lot of rogue admirals running around, yeah, and that no, seems to be another bad f- admiral plot this time. Uh, Yep. Yeah, it's a flaw in a lot of, I mean, not just the movies, but even in the series, as we keep running, and TNG at least, we keep running into these rogue admirals doing doing bad things. Well, this is a bad admiral, but he's not really a rogue admiral, because he's actually got the Federation Council's mm-hmm. approval for what he's doing. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that's true. And um, he's not an utter bad guy. I mean, he has limits. He keeps trying to restrain the Sonar leader, much to the Sonar leader's frustration and eventually the sonar leader kills him yeah um right. because he's at, at at a certain point it's like okay the federation admiral is like we're gonna pull the plug this project is over and it's yeah. a, and it's at that point that the sonar leader kills him because mm-hmm. the sonar were deceiving the federation about mm-hmm. the nature of their relationship with the baku uh, right and that's where the admiral sort of ends up drawing the line especially given that Whatever the Sonar's going to do, they they're like, we're just going to kill them now. It's, I'm just mm-hmm. done with. I'm done with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he so, gets plastic surgery the, to death. Yeah, yeah right. The, the Sonar are like war criminals of war criminals. I mean, they're like every possible war criminal line they can cross. They'll cross it <laughs> with with verve and vigor, vim and vigor. Um, so the uh, couple couple other thoughts I want to just mention. Um, the the line that I thought was funny was after Riker gets the his beard shaved and data has been fixed. Uh, data notices that you, you've shaved your beard and he says smooth as an Android's bottom. And then uh, data like touches his cheek and it just kind of does the mm, head shake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's great. There was apparently where there was a line and uh, Brett Spiner chose, thought it would be better to just do the expression, yeah. which I agree. It was yeah, great. <laughs> he, he refused to say the line, but like, yeah. yep. no, but it's I, not. I, <laughs> I did. I did think it was funny. To, to, there was there's there's a number of of the humor they tried to put with data, like you know, that I could be a flotation device, and he floats up to his waist oh. in the water, which was just kind of like that. That was that was another good line. In the event yeah. of a water landing, I've been designed to serve as a flotation device. That <laughs> was good. That was good. No, I like I like that. There's <laughs> also a nice bit where they first wake data up out of safe mode, and Jordy's taken oh, certain yeah. problematic components out of his positronic brain that have memory engrams on it and data they wake up data and say how are you doing and data says i appear to be missing several memory engrams and then jordy just opens his palm in front of data's face and data says oh there they are (laughs) (laughs) that's another one i laughed out loud at that was good yes uh so another element that we have here which seems this random insertion is the whole this whole concept of the one perfect moment the single perfect moment in time where time seems to stop, although apparently in, in the, on this Baku planet, it does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it this seems like an odd insertion. What was this? A, do you think was this a native aspect of the Baku? Something to do with the planet? I mean, what was that about? Well, but then the way they show it when she's hurt is it's not really stopping time. It's just you lose awareness of time, and somehow like. She's hurt, so she's her biology slows down or whatever, so that they can then get to them. Because they go but from like, them stopping time, and all of a sudden, C- Doctor Crusher's doing the hypo spray. 
the, the sand falling from the ceiling slows down and it's it, it's inconsistent because if yeah. you if if you perceive things around you as slowing down you're actually in, you're you're mentally speeding up yep. and so that would make the time between when you get injured and when Dr. Crusher gets to you seem longer not right. shorter right right yeah yeah that was yeah, it was it was an odd insertion into the whole story, and I wasn't. I think they wanted it to be part of the love story aspect. Yeah, it's yeah. it's just given Picard and and Anish, that's the woman's name, something romantic to do. Okay, and you know, and they didn't have to have the special effects because we. I'm sure all of us have had our times where, instead of losing track of time and time flying, we're so focused on here and now that it does seem like time doesn't go, or we're bored. <laughs> Time seems to drag, you know. Yes, yeah, yeah. I've been in those meetings. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, the we do get to see the captain's yacht. We mentioned uh, last time, uh, yep. previously on the season finale of Lower Decks. We rarely see the captain's yacht in use. Well, this is the other time we actually get to see the captain's yacht in use. And I was mistaken. I my memory was that its name was the Calypso after Jacques Cousteau's ship, but no, actually its name is the Cousteau. Cousteau. Right. We get a Calypso later. I think it came up uh I forget what it was, but uh yeah, we talked about the the naming um and the, the we we do get a Calypso later. Um so the uh let's see just trying to think of the, like any other things that I wanted um the using the, the uh, you know the poetic Using this the holographic ship trick against the Baku, the trick that they were going to use. I mean, against the Sona, uh, mm-hmm. the trick they were going to use on the Baku. Um, I, yeah, I guess that's. I mean, Darty gets a little bit, like you mentioned, he gets a little bit of a redemption, um, but he does descend to a to further depths because he gets to a point where he okay's the destruction of the Enterprise, the flagship of the fleet, um, this and uh, this crew which has saved the federation and the universe multiple times uh but he he approves or okays that that destruction and that's well, the ultimate betrayal I don't, I don't know that he approves it being destroyed exactly i think it's i think they're kind of deliberately ambiguous on that he approves sending ships to intercept it mm-hmm. knowing that conflict may result right. okay okay yeah um any other thoughts on this one father cory uh, the only one is uh, Sochef, the the leader of the Baku, male leader of the Baku. Uh, looks familiar if you've watched 80s like action, grew up with 80s action series. He Daniel Hugh Kelly is the actor's name, and he was Hardcastle of Hardcastle and McCormick. Oh. If you remember that series, gosh, that's a that's a throwback. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so that that's it's like he's, he's it's like he looks familiar. Oh yeah, I remember that series long time ago. <laughs> How about you, Jimmy? Any final thoughts on this one? Uh, there's a bunch of stuff I could I could nitpick at, but uh, one thing that was nice in this is I think for the first time in Star Trek we had drones in combat, mm-hmm. yep. um, where you the uh, Sona are using these drones to to tag people so that they can be beamed out of this environment where you normally couldn't lock on to somebody. And so these drones are flying around shooting people with little darts. And the our heroes, therefore, have to shoot them and smash them when, when their gun jams and things like that. And, and having drones, they're a part of combat now. 
Yeah. And mm-hmm. so having drones in combat is a good development for Star Trek. How'd they get those transport inhibitors all the way up the mountain ahead of time? No, no, no. It's because of a mineral. They say there's no, yeah. a there's a mineral that inhibits and and they also are using transport inhibitors for where the mineral isn't present. Right. Right. But this, but they, op- this opens they have up, them on them. Yeah. Th- this opens up another plot hole, which is, well, why don't you just beam them as close as possible to this area so you just have to then walk into it instead of trudging all the way from the village? <laughs> right. Because as already was a short movie, it was, you know, like an hour 45 with credits. Yeah. So <laughs> they had to expand it a little bit. So at least the actual story was an hour and a half. Yeah. So also one thing that I yep. was annoyed by is there's a scene where Anish oh Anish wow is she hardcore flirting with Picard. Oh yeah. There is there is a moment where she turns to him and says I wonder if you're aware of the trust that you engender. <laughs> and it's like <laughs> wow um that's almost take me now. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Would you trust me to take you out to dinner and get a cup yeah. of coffee? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, wow, that was coming out of the blue. That is an incredibly suggestive line. <laughs> She's 300. Um, she knows what she wants. Well, I guess so. <laughs> More than um, yeah. yeah. But then as they're walking along, this is at night, so it can be romantic. For you know, for some reason, there's like a quilt on a stand in the middle of the in the middle of a you know a, a colonnade they're walking through, and Picard fingers the quilt for like half a second and says, "Extraordinary craftsmanship," and it's like, dude, it's quilt. <laughs> you know, I mean, if you want to say something is extraordinary craftsmanship, a we the audience needs to see it in bright light, mm. not in shadows like this is um but it's only just a quilt there's only so much you can do with a quilt and uh, you no, just no, picked no, off no, all no, the no. quilt hang, <laughs> no, hang on hang, hang ahead, on ahead, hang on you can do impressive stitching with a quilt but um and 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 you know there are many very skilled people who make quilts but how you could glance at it for half a second and come yeah. in the dark and come <laughs> to the conclusion that it is extraordinary craftsmanship. Yeah. That's unbelievable. And it's it's it pops me out of the story because, oh, clearly this line is just inserted as a setup for Anisha's next line, which is, yeah, this is made by apprentices. They'll be mature craftsmen in 40 or 50 years. <laughs> and it's and it's like just to show that everything is so much better on the space hippie planet. Well, I should tell you sometime about the time my wife dragged me through a two hour uh, exhibit at the Museum of Fine Arts of Quilts. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm not denying that quilts no, no, can be very impressive, no. but yeah. not in not the way they've set this up. I did well, a lot and, of and, oh, that's nice quilt. That's a nice and, quilt. And <laughs> Lordex kind of called it out the, the the planet the ring planet with that was controlled yeah. by the computer where it's like oh you know this it, this art looks awful oh no that that's our good ones this is the ones we're worried that aren't going as well that must have been a callback to this that that is funny uh one other note I should mention is that uh, there was there were some deleted scenes where yeah with Quark, Quark. and Rom would have been mm-hmm. uh, or at least Max Rodenchek but Quark would have been on Baku for some reason vacationing there yeah. 
Which is kind of a weird. Yeah. Well, in, in Max, <laughs> sure Max Gro- Gronchek was supposed to be an ensign, an alien ensign. Right. Right. But so, yeah, they got cut. That's too bad. Uh, oh, more, something more, the something else that got cut at the script stage was originally the planet was going to be inhabited by ten year old children. So the space hippies were all going to be children. It would be like you know, and the children shall lead or something. <laughs> That would be awkward for the romantic plot. (laughs) Hopefully so. Yes, yes, definitely. Yeah. Uh, uh, Anyway, Uh, any other thoughts, uh, Jimmy? Anything else? Nah. Okay. Let's get to our feedback then. And this feedback comes from our, as we mentioned, the Lower Decks season finale that we just uh, talked about. Uh, This one, it was called Old Friends, New Planets. And the first feedback comes from Eric, who sent in an email. He said, uh, I think the most appearances of a single Trek character throughout all series is Will Riker, a total of five and a half times. And he says, hear me out. Obviously, TNG. But he had a cameo in Voyager. He appeared in the series finale of Enterprise. I know, I know, Father Corey. (laughs) (laughs) He made appearances in two seasons of Picard. He's also appeared on Lower Decks. That's five. But the half is his appearance of a Thomas Riker on DS9, because partially he was playing the part of Will Riker. He was Thomas Riker was pretending to be Will Riker. So there's the half. Yeah. Q is the next closest with five appearances, five different series, but he did not make an appearance in Enterprise. So we can quibble on the technicalities of Thomas Riker's appearance on DS9, but Q and Riker have a five series arc. They've been in five series, even so- better than Worf. So Dom comment about you know, I know Corey is <laughs> I, Father Corey, I was joking about how you know there's this fan fiction sh- uh, episode of of Enterprise it really wasn't part of the series but it supposedly it has Will Riker and Deanna Troy and, and you know kind of joking it, about that, that 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 the final episode of Enterprise never actually existed it was it's just kind of one of those ho- things hologram. you pretend it doesn't happen <laughs> so uh, but I think yeah I, we were talking about in in the lower decks episode about whether well, will wheaton um may have shown up in the most series but or clearly michael dorn or, or michael dorn right uh but clearly uh riker and uh q uh i should have thought of q yeah i think and it's I, still I think, michael dorn in terms of being a main character yeah right? and i think you could say that that yes riker shows up in, you know in the ds9 episode just it's his transporter clone right right um uh, and then, uh, like Michael Dorn as Worf's grandfather in uh, mm-hmm. in uh, Star Trek. Um, yep. Uh, what's oh, six? Undiscovered six. country. Undiscovered country. I was trying to remember that. Anyway, um, then the other feedback we have is from Flying Car One Hundred on YouTube, who wrote, "Would the Mark Twain thing actually work?" Uh, that was the we're having two people dress up as Mark Twain on a riverboat on a holodeck and settle their differences by Mark Twaining each other. Never the twins you'll meet. I think it depends on discussing the issues over whiskey in a night, you know, like sitting on a nice riverboat like that. That yeah. sounds congenial. We could handle that. Yeah. Limited amounts of whiskey. <laughs> Limited. Otherwise, it could lead to fist fights depending on whether people are happy drunks or angry drunks. <laughs> right, well, right, right. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. <laughs> I'd like to see it tried anyway, uh, but uh, we'll, we'll see. All right. Thank you for your feedback. We do appreciate it. And uh, so to wrap things up, we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Julie L., Blair N., Sarah S., Patrick M., and Don B. 
Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And we'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edited this episode. So that's it from us. What did you think of Star Trek Insurrection? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek, our Facebook page at facebook.com slash starquestmedia, send an email to trek at sqpn.com, or visit our Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. You can watch The Secrets of Star Trek on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash starquestmedia and leave a comment there as well. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the Next Generation episode, The Big Goodbye. Until then, speaking of holograms, until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing The Secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Don. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. And a big goodbye to you, too. (laughs) (laughs) And once again, I'm Don Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, in the event of a water landing, I have been designed to serve as a flotation device.